Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible with me to Habakkuk chapter number two. Uh, If you're joining us with our series this morning, we are in part three of When God Doesn't. And we have been studying what mess is going on there in Judah. And the prophet of God, Habakkuk, is really uh, sharing his complaint, his burden, and his lament to God. And God has been responding. And we're going to see in just a moment how God responds this second time to a very intense man by the name of Habakkuk. You know, for a moment, I want us to just kind of think of the emotional struggle that we encounter when in a moment of intensity of our own life, somebody simply says to us, hey, just be still. God's got this. Everything's going to be fine. Just be patient and wait for God to fulfill his word. It kind of just depends on where we are spiritually at that moment, whether we would respond this way and be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know what I'm thinking. God's got this. Everything's fine. God's in control. His word will be fulfilled, and uh, life is good. There's that response. Or the other response might be when you're told, hey, just be patient. God's word will be fulfilled. Everything's going to be fine. And you're more like, yeah, you want to wring their neck. And you're like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. My life is intense. It's in a whirlwind. You say God's got this, but it seems very messy and it is not okay. Nothing is going to be fine. And you say life stinks right now. Now, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with that response because I can tell with your smiles and your nodding, yeah, whether you want to admit it or not, there are times in your life Or that's where you are when somebody says, just wait, just be patient. Well, if that's us, where we're responding with a little more intensity than we need to, maybe we should just back up, take a deep breath, spell the word Methuselah five times, and then you'll be better and just calm the spirit. That's kind of where Habakkuk is. You know, we're looking at the situation of Habakkuk. He's in the southern kingdom of Israel. He's in Judah. And he is seeing all around him God's covenant people they're a mess. They have forgotten God. There is injustice ruling over their land. There is idolatry going on all over the place. And what is taking place is that they are not fulfilling what God has called them to do with the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving their neighbor as themselves. So they find themselves in this little bit of a a problem. and, And Habakkuk sees that And in chapter number one, Habakkuk comes to God and he says, God, here's my complaint. Here's my burden. Here's my lament. And he offers this to God. And he says, are you just going to sit idly by? Like, how long will I cry over this? So God answers him back. And what God tells him is that, yes, I see the wickedness of my covenant people. I see that they have forgotten me and that they're worshiping false gods. I can see the injustice, the violence, and the chaos that's going on around them. He says, so I'm bringing judgment to them. And he tells Habakkuk that he's going to bring the Chaldeans, a warring and conquering people. And they're going to come in and they're going to take you into exile. And I am going to bring my judgment. Well, Habakkuk, in that moment, as we studied last week, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I was asking. Like, that is not the prayer. And that's not the answer. And so he offers a second complaint, a second burden, a second question to God. 
And when he offers this, he says, how can such wickedness come in to take over a more righteous people? How will your covenant people be conquered in this way? Like, how is this going to look to other nations? And will you just continue to allow the Chaldeans, verse number uh, 17, to just continue to empty their net and not spare and slaying all the nations? So Habakkuk offers this complaint. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, now I will watch And I will set myself upon the watchtower, and I will just wait to see what God's going to say. And Habakkuk understands that there is a great chance that he will be rebuked and reproved for this. And so he waits, and in verse number two, the Lord answered me. And he said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, the tablets, that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, or those who are puffed up and arrogant. But the just shall live by his faith. Here God is going to respond to Habakkuk. This morning I want us to look at these principles from these verses and see how we too must live by our faith. In the moments of chaos, in the moments of doubts, in the moments where we are reminded to just be still, to be patient and to wait, and we don't know how we're going to respond or how we're going to move forward, he says the righteous, the just, will live by their faith. So this morning, let's dig in and let's start by praying and asking God for his wisdom. Lord, we We pause here at the very beginning and we offer ourselves as your servants. And Lord, we want so desperately to have your message from above. So guide us in this study of this passage. We thank you for what we've learned so far and what now will be applicable to us today. We pray that we would be willing to change in the areas and moments that you convict us of change. May we be willing to be shaped into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. May we look to live our lives by that faith. So give us that instruction today. Ultimately, we want you alone to be glorified in what is accomplished. For we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number one, Habakkuk is definitely waiting and anticipating some type of response from God. And he he says that he's going to wait to hear from God. And we're not told how long of a period this was. So we don't know if this was a a, a long period of waiting. We don't know if this was a short response. What we do see here is that God was very deliberate in what he was going to say and how he would respond to Habakkuk. But we also notice something very unique about God's response. God's response here to Habakkuk is gentle. His response is not stern with rebuke as Habakkuk was anticipating. Have there been those moments in your life where you've really just laid it out with your raw, authentic spirit before God? I mean, he knows your heart. So remember, we don't have to filter it through our tongue before we offer it to God because he knows what we're thinking and he knows what we feel. So we just lay out that raw emotion to God and we're like, I know it. I just know by offering this way and saying these things the way I do, God's going to cast judgment. He's going to cast lightning. And I, you know, nobody, everybody stand back. This is going to be the rebuke moment. That's where Habakkuk is. Because with great intensity, he's offering this complaint going back and forth to God. And here's God's gentle response. Well, what does that teach us? What does that show us? 
Does it show us that Habakkuk's complaints and questions were not out of line? I don't know. Does it show us something about God's patience and understanding of man's heart and emotions? I definitely think that is clear and evident. I mean, I think God knows and understands our emotions, our struggle of heart. And so in God's second response to Habakkuk, we we observe several vital principles that kind of jump out in here. In verse number two, we see that God wants to comfort his people. Now remember, the proclamation has come that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are going to come in and take the people of Judah into exile. This has not happened yet. And now in the second response, he's going to give some hope. He's going to give the proclamation of deliverance that will soon come or that will come at some point to give them that restoration of hope again. So in verse number two, the Lord answered Habakkuk and says, write the vision and make it plain upon the tablets for he may run that reads it. Now, here we have to understand that now when we think of Old Testament writings, we think, oh yeah, tablet, that would have been a normal way of writing. But Remember, for those who would have been writing the scriptures under the inspiration of God, they would have written those visions and those sayings and the things that God was giving to them in a scroll. So here is a very pointed reason. He wants this to be done in a tablet, one that would be legible and that one which would be clear. He even uses the phrase here as he's wanting this message to be pointed just to Habakkuk, but for all who will read it. So this is not comfort for Habakkuk. This is comfort for Habakkuk and all the people who will soon go into exile into Babylon. He says, write the vision that he may run that reads it. Now we say, well, what does that mean? Well, here we are reading it and yes, let's continue to run the race with patience. No, that's not the context. Now this is not running the race of the Christian life. It's not running scared stupid because the Babylonians are coming. It's not running in place. What this means is there are several thoughts to it. The common explanation, or explanation is that many people would say that he was, God was telling him to write it so clear and so easily to be read for those who are running past it that they could even see it and read it and process it. But if, if that were the meaning, then he would have said that he that runs may read it. But that's not what he said. He said that those who will read it may run. Almost as if he says those who will read it will run with it. Now understand some of this thought about the prophets and what their job was to do here. So God is giving these words of encouragement and comfort to Habakkuk, and he is to record them in such a way that will be clear and legible to those who will come from generations on to understand that God was going to defeat the enemy and the foe and restore the people of Judah. Don't you know that when you're in a mess, and we use the phrase, see the light at the end of the tunnel? This is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is the moment so that the people, when they go into exile, they will be able to be reminded by the tablet writing that Habakkuk has done by the vision and voice of God so that this would bring comfort to them. This is very common throughout some of the prophet's writing. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, he said, many shall run to and fro. And what he was referring to was speaking of the explanation, that's going to be a struggle all day, the explanation of the prophecy before it was going to be revealed or unsealed. And so this was an opportunity for those who would hear, would go and take that message. 
In Revelation 22, 17, let him that hears say, come. To those that hear the good news, that they would say to all who could hear to come, to be encouraged and comforted by God's proclamation that he will defeat the foe and bring restoration to his people. So here in Jeremiah chapter 23, the word run is equivalent to announce the divine anticipation and revelation. And what great comfort we have today knowing that the enemy will one day meet its destiny of doom, his demise. I mean, aren't you kind of tired of Satan's battling with his cosmic powers working in the spiritual warfare? Aren't you tired of spiritual wickedness seeming to be prominent and dominant in our culture and society? Don't you find it wearing on who you are spiritually to be in the intense battle of the spiritual warfare? Like we're ready for that moment when sin will be no more. And we're ready to be rescued and free from this temporary life here on earth. We're looking forward to that comfort that says there is something greater. There is something better. And he just says, hold on and wait. So that message is being given to Israel, to Habakkuk and the people. I tell you, I'm worn down by the the pride and conflict in this present world. I'm discouraged to see evil prevail and righteousness being prevented from moving forward. I'm disheartened by too many Christians who are just playing church. They're pretending to care. And at the same time, they are overwhelmed and saturated by carnality because of their double-minded heart. And they just don't care. And we could look at all of these things and you could be like, wow, thank you, preacher, doom and gloom. And that's our culture. And that's our society. And and sometimes as Christians, we're like, what is going to happen in November? Like, like when is this thing going to disappear? When will we get back to normal life? And we're fretting about a temporary dwelling place. God calls for us to invest in eternity. And for us to invest in those eternal rewards that that the thieves won't break through and take. And that rust and, and moth will not destroy. And he says, that's where your investment needs to be, Christian. So guess what? I'm thankful that it won't always be this way. I'm thankful for the assurance that we have of the blessing to come and the judgment to come. The prophet Zephaniah said, therefore, wait you upon me, says the Lord. The psalmist said, our soul waits for the Lord after this and our shield. But then the next principle here after this first one in verse number two of not only God wanting to comfort his people, but God does not always act immediately. Look at verse number three. He says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. So another reason God commands Habakkuk to write this in the tablet is so that it would be something that would be able to be read, to be clear in the future. Because this rescue, this redemption is not going to take place. This deliverance is not just a week away. The Chaldeans are still gathering their forces to come in to take them into exile. So we would see here that even in our own lives, just because God answers prayer, and by the way, he's always answering prayer, does not mean that the answer is immediate or that the rescue is going to be 
taking place right away. Sometimes he allows us to go through these seasons in our life. And sometimes he entrusts us with those seasons. As I look back at the last five years of pastoring and shepherding Parkway, I I remember the things that God has clearly said to wait on. I've seen clearly the things that he said, I see your vision and I see your motivation and I see your passion, but he has said, wait. So as a church congregation, as a church body, we have learned to seek God's wisdom and, and to be led by the Holy Spirit's leading and to use that discernment to allow God's timing to act. Now for the next 5, 10, 15, 25 years of shepherding and partnering with this congregation, we will continue to see God do incredible things. And sometimes they happen immediately, but then other times he says, wait. One of the things that we have to be assured of is in our prayer as the men gathered this morning and we prayed before the service, we had a very specific prayer. And part of that prayer was answered. Because our prayer was for an individual to quit being distracted during the gospel presentation on Sunday morning, always getting up and walking out to the restroom. And so our prayer was very specific. God, would you, would you keep them engaged with the gospel? And so that individual was engaged with the gospel throughout the whole message. And then when we came to the end to offer the invitation of hope and God's love and gave the opportunity for response... Our second part of our prayer was, God, would you draw them to yourself, convict their heart, and help them to see their need for Jesus? And there became that moment where they looked up, but then quickly looked down. And from that point on, we had to give it over to the Lord for his timing. You see, God doesn't always act immediately. Was that a selfish prayer? No, our our prayer is that God would allow Parkway to be stewards of the gospel message to see people's lives radically transformed by his love. And so that's not a selfish prayer. All glory would be given to God. But in that moment, he says, wait, be fervent, be patient, and be passionate. And so in our lives, we would look at several things and we would say, how in the world do we do this? And so as a church, we just continue to live out the gospel As a church, we continue to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. We continue to move forward aggressively when he opens the door, and we learn to be patient and wait for when he says, the time is not now. So with time and prayer and sincerity, with patience, God will act in his timing. So when you look at your uproar in your life, just like Habakkuk, sometimes he says, be patient and let's wait because I don't act immediately. In verse number three, we also see another principle is that God's word is true and will always come about. You see, verse three, he says, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. As he declares this revelation, that is the promises and plans of God will be completed. Now, I find great hope and assurance in that Because what God is ready to declare to Habakkuk about the coming judgment of the enemy of God and his people finding deliverance is a matter of it will happen. It's not a maybe. It's not a boy, I hope this happens. I mean, we know what that feels like. I mean, our girls are even at a place where they ask, hey, dad, can we do such and such? And we say, well, maybe. Like, ooh, that's good. That's better than a no. But then they find out sometimes that the maybe does mean no. That's a bummer. 
But you see, with God, he doesn't mean maybe. You see, we joke about that in our home with Natalie, and she grew up with her mom always using that phrase, and maybe some of you have used that phrase. If you don't take the trash out, you're going to be in big trouble. And I don't mean maybe, right? How many of you use that? Be honest. All right, good. Thank you. So here, God is not saying, and I don't mean maybe. He is saying here, he doesn't hope it's going to happen. He says here, this will come about. My word is always true. So you can find confidence in my words. You can find comfort in my words. As the proverb put it, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So God's word is always only true and it will come about. And so as we live in a society and a culture that is so deceptive, we almost get to the point where we don't even know where to look for truth. If you watch any mainstream media and they tell you what time it is, you check your watch to see if they're even being honest at that moment. And Weather Channel, oh, living in Florida, you know not to believe any poor weatherman. So the reality here is we just live in a culture and a society that is led by the father of all lies. And as he continues to have rule and reign, there is going to be a lot of deception. And that is a tool that he uses in the church And so a church that becomes deceived is a church that will soon find division. It's a church that ultimately will find destruction, all because of the deception that took place. So don't let the enemy have his way in your home. Don't let the enemy have his way in your marriage. Don't let him have a way in your heart. Because that enemy has only looked to come to steal, kill, and destroy. But our Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, he came so that we might have life and that we might live it more abundantly and that we could live that life to the fullest. So God's word is always true and will always come about. Also in verse number three, he says, though it tarry, he says, wait for it. So we're to wait patiently on God. You know, rarely does God's timetable match our timetable. In our instantaneous culture, we abhor waiting. We don't even like to wait for our coffee at the drive-thru if they take more than three minutes. We don't like to wait at the restaurant when the waitress walks by us. We don't like to wait in the grocery line. We don't like to wait at a red light that turns green and the person in front of us is trying to adjust his foot from the brake to the accelerator. And we're like, come on, let's go. What are you taking so long for? Now, these are truths and realities in my life. I think they're probably truth and realities in your life as well. Just ask Natalie. She'll tell you a few of them. But when we look at this impatience, we can't blame it on our personality. We can't blame it on our home we grew up in. Dad was always impatient. Mom was the most impatient. Or this person's so impatient. So that's just how I am. That is who I am. By your own admission of in being impatient says that you don't have the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because the fruit and evidence of the Spirit. Well, you may say, well, I've got love. And I've got joy. And I've got peace. Oh, do you have patience? Do you have long-suffering? 
So what patience, impatience does is it says, I am most important in this room or in this environment. And so if you're taking forever to get me my value meal that I paid $2.99 for, well, then I've got a real problem with you. If you're not getting my coffee to me in time, if you don't refill my sweet tea, and if you don't hit the accelerator and get out of my way, you don't realize who I am and how important I am. Yeah, how important you are to you. So this impatience is a real struggle. And it's something that we're always working on in the messiness of our life. And, and, and I'm right there in the trenches with you. I'd love to find other people to blame on this, but it's all on me. Do you ever get impatient with your kids? Yeah. Do you ever get impatient with your spouse? Yeah. Do you ever get impatient with your coworkers? Yeah. Right? How about your boss? No, I love my boss. <laughs> He's great. Um, what about people in public? So when you think about that and you say, well, I just have a real hard time with patience here, but boy, I'm always patient with God. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. You see, the areas of struggle that you have with patience in your life is going to have a natural overflow and reflection on your relationship with God himself. And so that's why you can't wait on God. That's why you have a hard time depending on his timeline. It's because you're just an impatient person. Now, some of you in here, you're waiting on God for, for good things right now. Some of you are waiting on God to bring you a godly spouse, maybe a, a godly girlfriend or boyfriend to start with, and you're waiting for that to happen. Maybe some of you are waiting for a, an encouraging friend to come into your life, or maybe a new job or new direction in life. Maybe you're waiting for a new home or a place of living. Maybe you're waiting for healing of a bodily, a bodily ailment or a, a difficult disease. Maybe you're waiting for restoration from conflict in your life. Maybe you're waiting for someone to return to you. Or maybe some of us in here are waiting on God's vengeance on the wicked. Or maybe waiting on God to cast his judgment for the evil. I said to somebody last night at dinner, man, wouldn't it be great to be able to just be around to see God make everything right? Like just to bring it all to, to, to truth and to stick it to them? I don't know who them are. I'm, I'm not going to tell you, but I mean, don't you just want to be there? And he's like, you know what? I hope that all just happens and we're in heaven. Like, oh man, I don't know. I want a front row seat. What does that reveal about my heart? Maybe some of us are waiting on deliverance for our weary soul. Maybe some of us are waiting on peace, true joy, and contentment. So we all look at our item of waiting to be the end all. So it's like, if, if I can just get this godly spouse in my life, then I'll be content, I'll be happy, I'll be patient with God, it'll all be good and working out. If I could just get a new job, a new career, a new place, a, a new direction in life, and then this will be good. If Habakkuk could speak to us today, come on up, sir, prophet Habakkuk, and he says, you know where I struggled? Is I just wanted the wickedness and the injustice of our land and our people to be fixed. So I wanted God to come in and slap us upside the head and say, here's the new cure and the new way to go. 
But then God said he was going to bring wickedness in to overtake the righteous, and I just unraveled at that point. So you see, sometimes our item, our thing, which are good, become our end all to where we say, that's where I'll finally find my satisfaction, only to realize that it doesn't bring the same sense of contentment and satisfaction we always thought it would. And so God reminds us to wait on him. Habakkuk, people who are going to be in exile, tarry and wait. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 27, 14, it was David. He penned these words. He said, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Now remember, David's not having a stuttering problem in his writing He did not hit copy and paste. In the Hebrew way of writing, they would have used it in repetitive form to show their emphasis. So they didn't use bold writing. They didn't use underline and italicize things. They didn't use a highlighter or neon signs. They would repeat the verbiage. And so this is an emphasis that we need to take note to. Wait on the Lord. So be patient. Verse number four, the fifth and last principle that I want to draw our attention to is that as God's people, our life is to be characterized by faith. As God's people, our life should be characterized by faith. The question we must ask ourselves is when people see you or the people who really know you, what would they say you're characterized by? troublemaker, maybe somebody that's all up in everybody else's business, maybe somebody who is a conflict causer, or do they see you as a character, having a characterization of faith? You see, one major purpose of the Old Testament prophets, as they would write, they would hear the voice of God and they would proclaim the message, was to draw God's people, covenant people, back to himself. Remember, the people have forgotten God. The two commandments, to love God and to love others as yourself, have been thrown out the window. Injustice has just permeated all of their culture and society, so they're just taking advantage of each other. And they are not doing anything that is going to be of worship and and love to God. So Habakkuk gives this, this decree. And the covenant relationship between Israel and Yahweh is needing to be restored. Now, God's not going to break off his covenant. He will not forget his promise. He never stops loving and he never stops caring. That's why in the middle of all of this, he sheds this voice of comfort. I was talking to Scott Boyd after the first service and we were chit-chatting a little bit about the sermon and he's been doing some study in Jeremiah and he was, he was talking about how it, it really connects and correlates as yet another prophet who was communicating to an exile people who were facing the judgment of God. Deuteronomy 28, by the way, said, uh, if you obey, here's your blessing. If you disobey, here's your curse. And so the exile was not of any shock and surprise. God would have to use foreign nations, ungodly nations over and over again to bring this judgment on his people. But every time he does, he always brings a message of hope. He always brings a message of deliverance. He brings something back to their attention that connects the pieces together. 
That's why verse number four is so vital and so important. Because as he says in verse four, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. He's speaking about the arrogant and the proudful ways of the Babylonians. He is saying that the pride of the Babylonians will not lift them up properly. He said, but on the opposite side, the just shall live by his faith. So in contrasting the pride-filled Babylonians, what God does is shows that his righteous people are to live their life marked by their faith and not by focus on self. Christians, that's where we get off track so often, is that instead of trusting in God, we trust in our own understanding. We trust in our past, we trust in our experiences, we trust in our degrees and our education, we trust in our bank account, we trust in our abilities, our talents, our gift set, and these are the things that give us this confidence. These are the things that give us our own comfort until we realize that our focus is all puffed up on ourselves when he says that the just are going to live by their faith. So the proud, they would find this drastically different. And I think that's why for the Christian and for the church, it's important that we remember the dangers of pride. Pride goes before spirit, a haughty spirit, and comes before a fall. We would see what the Proverbs says about God's view of pride. It says in Proverbs 6, these six things doth God hate. Then he says, well, wait a minute, seven are an abomination to him. First one. Proud look. Pride. Pride destroys the heart of a Christian. Pride destroys the faith of a church. Pride ruins unity. Pride will decay at the values, the core values of a ministry. You see, pride will sneak into our own hearts And so easily come out. And by the way, it's a strong distaste for anybody who's working against pride. At the core of every sin is pride because we want to please ourselves. So instead of showing love and loyalty to God, we show love and loyalty to ourselves. So we find it very difficult to function in this way because our trust and dependency is on me. So I get myself out of problems. I get myself out of conflict, I get myself out of situations, the whole time being guided by pride and dependence on myself. So the just, when they live by faith, their confidence comes with a trust and dependency on God alone. Now this statement here in verse number four is one of great importance because it's quoted three times in the New Testament. If you want to write down these passages, I think it's really interesting to the connection of these passages to this prophecy in Habakkuk 2. In Romans chapter 1 verse 17 is the commentary, the explanation on the justified man, because the verse says, the just shall live by faith. And then Hebrews, the author of Hebrews wrote a commentary on faith and said, the just shall live by faith. And then Paul wrote in the book of Galatians in chapter number three, this commentary, this explanation on the Christian life. And he says, the just shall live by faith. 
So the justified man will live the Christian life by his faith. Where are we today? You see, God ensured Habakkuk that the evil nation of Babylon will meet their judgment. And so in the middle of God's response to Habakkuk, he starts by trying to give great comfort to his people. And in this comfort, he says that though there's pride and there is problems and there are wickedness going on, he said, ultimately, I'm going to restore you because of the fulfillment of my promise, my covenant that I've made to you. Now, in verses 6 through 20, he issues and pronounces these five woes. In verse number 6, the woe of greed. In verse number 9, there was the woe of false security. In verse 12, there was the woe of violence. In verse number 15, there was the woe of drunkenness. And in verse 19, there was the woe of idolatry. (laughs) How remarkably modern these woes seem to be today. The description of these woes was given to an ancient Babylonian society. But when you read about these woes, it seems to be the culture and world surrounding the church today. So it doesn't cause us to back in the corner and huddle and hurdle down and say, this is not what's going to be. We simply, with great boldness, continue to proclaim the gospel. We continue to live it out. We continue to share hope. Hey, don't fret that your unsaved worker is acting like an unrighteous person. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be amazed that the unsaved will rebuke and blaspheme the name of God. Don't be surprised by that. And that person you're praying for and continue to pray for and continue to pray for that God would save their soul, don't be overwhelmed that the time has not taken place because the enemy is duping and blinding that unrighteous soul. So we don't wave the white flag of defeat. We stand boldly and we proclaim. And ultimately, verse number 14, we point the glory all to God. Because he says, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So he's saying, Habakkuk, I know this is not the answer you want to hear. You don't want the Chaldeans coming in, wicked people overtaking the righteous, somewhat righteous. He said, but this is going to be the punishment. He said, but here's the voice of hope. Here's the reason of deliverance. And put it in tablet form so it will be clear and legible for generations to come. And those who read it, they will run with it. And they will pursue to proclaim that hope and comfort to everybody that they can. So church, let's not sit on the sidelines. Let's not be so bogged down and worried about everything that's going on around us that we forget about the eternity that we're to be investing in. Let's not become so overwhelmed by policies and agendas put out by right or left or middle or who, what, everywhere you got. Let's not be bogged down with that. Let's look to the proclamation of hope and deliverance that God has given to all of us. Don't hoard it. Don't hold tight onto it. But may we proclaim it. For God declares that the highest purpose of him is to display his glory in all the world. So let's quit trying to display our own glory. 
And we try to do that by the fancy things that we say, or by the agendas that we get behind, or by the soapboxes we want to stand and proclaim. All of that's always directing to you. So let's put those away, and let's allow His glory to be seen in our life and our circumstances. So learn to praise Him in all things. Point to him. Announce that his work is being done to everyone you know. Tell your story and be a living testimony of God's continual grace and power. God will, not maybe, God will achieve and accomplish his purpose. And so in the meantime, the just, let's live by our faith. Are you up for it? Let's go.